0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is presented by LMT and Forever Cheese. This week, it's the season finale of Meat and 3. We're following up our episode about youth with a look at age and how aging affects life on farms and in kitchens. At the the most basic level, we need people to grow food for a growing global population.
0: The question of planning for retirement or old age as a cook it's almost one that doesn't exist bizarrely until it's too late.
1: We also have a story about a food that might be older than you think. A recent archaeological finding might have crossfitters everywhere reevaluating their diets. Plus a story about one of Atlanta's most historic and risqué landmarks. There are dancers that have been there 20 and 30 years. Don't miss our season finale of Meat and 3, available wherever you get your podcasts.
2: This is Dana Cowan, and you are listening to Speaking Broadly on Heritage Radio Network. Each week, I interview someone who works behind the scenes in the hospitality industry, and we learn about their successes and their challenges, and really, who made them who they are, how they got to the august place that they've landed, to have insights into how we can all do better, live better, and succeed in our own lives. Today, my guest is Katie Button. I know Katie because she was a food and wine best new chef, one of my favorite ones because she was so smart, honest, creative, and compelling. I caught up with Katie in Charleston at FAB, which is a conference of women who work in hospitality, sharing stories and ideas and trying to make each other and the industry better. Katie right now is the executive chef and owner of Curate and Nightbell in Asheville, North Carolina. So Katie, so happy to have you join me. Let's get to it. interested in people whose paths have not been linear, and your path has not been linear at all. No,
3: definitely not. <laughs> and um,
2: <laughs> I was hoping you could tell the the story of what you started out thinking that you wanted to do, and why, and what that moment was
3: when you realized, I'm really not going to do this anymore, and made a switch. Sure. So I, um, let's see, I was, you know, probably your Typical high school senior who has no clue what they want to do in their life, and they're just kind of like grasping at ideas. And you know, I was following when I went into college the idea that I needed to study something that I would get a job in that would secure me job security for the rest of my life because that was success and a career. And um, I was pretty good at math and science, so I ended up studying chemical engineering in um, in college and. Of course, I was kind of, I kind of like trudged my way through it all, but um, and made it, but I wasn't happy or didn't particularly enjoy what I was studying. I just, I don't know, felt like. I needed to do that and then get into the real world and work and it would all be okay. And I kept kind of telling myself that. Um, but on graduation, you know, I w- was no clearer on what I wanted to do. And um, so I decided I just like keep studying because <laughs> you can't get a job and you're like interviewing terribly because you're not passionate about what you've been studying. um, you just keep studying it cuz eventually you'll be so qualified that somebody will have to hire you um <laughs> and but at least I, I ended up finding a masters degree program that was offered in france cuz i wanted to travel and i went to school at l'ecole centrale and studied biomedical engineering and i have a masters degree in biomedical engineering oh my goodness <laughs> but uh yeah and i cooked the entire time i was in i was in paris but that's a whole nother. like kind of looking back why I knew that I needed to switch into food. But um, anyway, it took me a little while longer. I worked in a lab in Baltimore and was about to start a PhD program before I um, realized that it was like the PhD program was like okay, this is like forever. Yeah, you know, that's this really is really long term. This is yeah. really long term. It's like just to complete it and then do whatever you needed to do, and 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 then I realized my whole life if I was continuing down this path, I was going to be in a lab, you know, or or you know, um, I don't know, or doing something like that, and and I was really miserable. Um, I had been really unhappy, and that was really that moment of wow, you need to think about this. And for the first time, I kind of got off the treadmill and I went to Africa to build houses for Habitat for Humanity Uh for the summer. How (laughs) did you choose that like of of all things to do? Well, you know, when I was graduating, instead of going to my master's degree, I thought about joining the Peace Corps. Like I was one of those, I was lost. I was confused. I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I thought giving back in some way was going to help give me clarity. And Um, so it, it it was, for me, it was kind of fulfilling that, that other need that had always been kind of thinking, oh, Hey, you didn't join the Peace Corps. You got a master's degree instead. So why don't you do that little charitable thing? And it was only a month and I was there, um, in Africa, but just getting that break and being away from the routine gave me a whole new perspective when I came back.
2: Is that something you recommend to anybody
3: who's sort of feeling a little bit lost or a lot a bit lost? Yes, absolutely. I would say get out from whatever you're doing and, and try to find some clear space and, and get off the treadmill because if you keep going, you'll never get off, you know, and then and then it'll be, you know, past the point of what you wanted, you know, and you could find yourself very unhappy. And I was unhappy at that time, yeah. you know, I mean. Just because you're like, I don't, you didn't care or it was hard or it wasn't interesting or... Um, no, I just, I didn't... Um, I didn't enjoy the work. I didn't enjoy working in a lab, and I um, I found the work interesting, mm-hmm. but um, it was more what the actual work was mm-hmm. that I that I didn't enjoy. And there were signs in my personal life. I mean, I was just, um, you know, I, I I was I was struggling. I think anybody would looking back on it would say it was a moment when I was depressed for mm-hmm. sure. And you know, I never wanted to go out, and I'd like you know watch movies after I did my work by myself and I was struggling to like have friends and things like that. And, and it, I was just very self unhappy. At, at this point, just knowing the life you have, it's
2: such a mismatch. Like you're the most involved in the world person.
3: So it was the wrong place. It was definitely the wrong place. And, you know, when I switched I thought about food immediately, partly because my upbringing, I, my mother ran a catering uh, business out of our home. And so there was a lot of food around my upbringing. And, you know, when I looked back on my time and my master's degree in Paris, I cooked the entire time. I was so inspired by being in that city with the markets and the food and everything. I tried to teach myself classical French cuisine um, to, and that, those kinds of things kept me going. Uh-huh. And so uh, you came back presumably
2: after a month. And then you confronted reality, right? And then well, what was here when you got
3: here? Well, I dropped out of my PhD program. And <laughs> How, was that very hard? to Yeah, do? it was hard. Um, yeah. And I did it. I burned the bridge, and then I told my parents about it. After I was like, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna ask. And not that because I felt like they would have given me practical advice, and that wasn't what I wanted. You know, it was like I had made my decision, and I cut it, burned the bridge, and then. Um, and then after, you know, um, <laughs> you burned the bridge because uh, you had signed up to work with a professor. And then
2: well, why? did yes, you? Yes, the- exactly.
3: I had already accepted a position yeah. in uh, a Ph.D. program. I had, um, you know, started talking about what my Ph.D. project was going to be. I'd started doing some research. I was. All set to start in this paid position. I feel good that I quit before they started paying me. (laughs) um, You know, um, before they didn't get, you know, so they got nothing, but they didn't pay anything for nothing out of it. But um, and then, you know, I just I was in D.C. and I needed to pay my rent. I decided I was just going to stay where I was. And, um, I needed to pay rent. And since I had kind of done this, I knew I wasn't going to like crawl back to my parents after having like, you know, totally destroyed what they thought my career was. And, and how did they deal with that? You know, they, looking back, they handled it so well. I mean, I think they knew that there was no changing the decision I'd made. And, that they needed to try to just wait and support me through that. And, um, I feel very fortunate to have had, to have parents
2: like that. That's great. I I love what you said about not wanting practical advice. I, my husband, who is so amazing, he always tries to give me practical advice and I'm like, (laughs) I just, I don't really need practical advice. I just want to tell you this issue that I'm finding really, you know, frustrating or, um, but I understand that sometimes you want practical advice and it's absolutely the answer and sometimes you just don't. Um,
3: so you're in D.C. And um, I, you know, fate would have it. I um, I started looking at all the restaurants in D.C. and the best restaurants. I picked out a Zagat guide. and I was like, well, if I'm going to apply and work in restaurants, because I figured that would be a great way for me to pay my rent and work. And I didn't know what I wanted. It wasn't that I quit and I was like, oh, I'm going to be a chef and I mm. want to cook. And mm-hmm. I, I didn't really know. I just knew that, Food was attracting was attractive to me in the restaurant world, and I wanted to try it out. So, I went to the best restaurants with this resume, you know, that had PhD oh dropout, my like GRE scores on it. It was terrible; nobody would hire me. Um, and they were like, "Who is this person with like zero restaurant experience?" Oh my and God. and then I walked to a Jose Andres restaurant, and his manager looked at it, and, you know, nobody would give me a cooking position, but he looked – I was also applying for a server position, and he looked at it, and he was like, well, here, I'm going to give you a test, you know, because they they give tests out to – they're new hires. And I was like, Oh my God, a test. I've been doing tests for years. I have a (laughs) master's degree. I was like, I can, I can do a test, you know? And I sat down and filled it out and it was about food knowledge and service knowledge. And, you know, there are parts of it that I failed because I didn't know that much about the restaurant industry, but the food piece I really aced and, you know, detailed questions about varieties of mushrooms or wine or, and so the passion I think came, I was able to show my passion which was something my resume couldn't. And I just always appreciate that opportunity. Um, And they hired me. And from there, it created this amazing connection with Jose Andres and working with a Spanish chef. I got introduced to the world of El Buye and the chefs from there. And it it felt like all of a sudden opportunities started opening, and I, I felt like I'd never had that. I felt like I'd been working so hard before. And now here I was, and it was like, Opportunities were just opening and I was loving working in the restaurant even though I was serving and I just loved the energy and the vibe and I was succeeding.
2: So do you think that all the opportunities came because you were in a place where it was just like a natural fit like you just weren't you weren't fighting
3: and I was really happy.
2: And really happy
3: You know, and, and so it was a combination. It was a natural fit. I was good at it. I understood it. And um, and I loved it and I was passionate about it. And so, you know, all of that is going to create happiness. I mean, your work ends up being so much of your day-to-day that if you're not happy doing it, it's going to affect how you are all the rest of the time.
2: I have to say, going to um, into the magazine business just after college, which... I did. It was the same thing. It was like, well, I'm not a swimmer, but it was just that thing where you get in the pool and you just glide. You're like, it is the right place. I understand it intuitively, instinctively. No one has to teach me anything. I don't have to study anything because it is just like who I am. And, um, and that was, for 30 years, such a beautiful thing to do, to feel you wake up every day and you're completely in sync with, um, you know, well... Okay, that's an exaggeration. There were really some <laughs> horrible downtimes, But in general, yes. <laughs> um, you know, that you're, you're in, in sync, I can appreciate that. Is there something about
3: um, chemical engineering that is an intersection with food? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think actually my background has really helped me be a successful chef. You know, I um, now when I, when I w- was creating our restaurant, Courte, and, um, you know, we're creating recipes, I don't, I don't leave anything to chance. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a person who's very detailed, very organized, and, you know, I, I create systems. Like, it, engineering is all about creating systems, and that is what I was able to bring to the restaurant. I was like, love food, love cooking, I'm going to cook this, but then I'm going to create a system so that all these other people will cook it exactly like I would cook it. And um, I think that that's been really important and a big part of our success. And um, what are the systems you put in place? Well, I mean, starting, I mean, a lot of it is just, uh, it's, it's standard things. It's like order guides and inventory and recipes that are detailed out by weight versus volume because too many people don't volume measure properly. And then it's it scales up better if it's by weight and scales down better if it's by weight. And, you know, so I, I immediately did all of that um, and just really detailed about what things should look like at different steps or what temperature they should be to give people concrete um, information. And I tell everybody that I hire who works for me is, you know, it's 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 if you don't like system structure and, you know, rules and things like that, this isn't going to be the place for you. Because that's very important. That's who I am. That's how we do what we do. And, um, you know, if you want to come in and just mix a few things together and create something on the fly, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just not me. It's
2: good to know. I mean, in every way, it's good to know who you are because you get, then have the right people working for you. There's no disappointment. I mean, clarity, communication, systems, structures. Um, there's so much creativity once you have the structure. Right. You just can't have creativity if there's literally no structure. Right. Um, and you've been tremendously successful. I mean, among things that I'm proud of is that you're a food, my best new chef. Uh, But you've also had, uh, you know, challenges and uh, we're on a panel together about failure, which I don't I don't really believe in failure because I feel like it's um, things go wrong. Things go right. But. Failure just seems so final. But what are the things that have gone wrong that you've had to, you know, come back from? And what? Sure. Yeah.
3: So you know, everybody says that opening your second restaurant is your hardest. Um, I don't know. I'm, the first one, I look back, that was pretty darn hard. So <laughs> I'm not really sure if that's necessarily true. But but the second one definitely is is hard. And I think it's different for for everybody. Um, uh, for us, you know, it, we had a concept that we wanted to create of a, of a craft cocktail bar and, uh, bar snacks. And, you know, we opened it and it just didn't take, you know, there was something about what the vision of what we had in our heads and how that translated to a story or, um, feeling for the people coming in and then also quantity of, of beverages versus food and what we really want to do. And, do I really want to be a more liquor alcohol focused business or do I want to be in the food business? And it took trying it out and seeing that it wasn't working, um, to understand that that was wrong. It was a wrong fit for me. And, um, and it wasn't good for a great fit for our community. And, so, we immediately knew that we needed to turn night bell is the the second concept we needed to make it a restaurant, and we created Night Bell the restaurant by thinking, okay, well what now we have to think, well what's our restaurant concept you know after we'd created another concept that wasn't working and usually you wouldn't create a restaurant that way. you would think from the very beginning, what's my restaurant concept and detail all that out and You know, but we were trying to save this thing that we had created that wasn't quite functioning. Um, And luckily, with a combination of our team members and being inspired by the foods in our area in uh, Western North Carolina and Appalachia and kind of the culture of um, what that food is based on of reducing food waste and pickling and preserving and finding some team members who were super passionate about that. We were able to create something really special, you know. um, So what went into, like, that decision?
2: Because it was such a clear concept to start. And then, you know, those must have been very hard conversations to, say, to shut it down. Like, this isn't right. But um, did you feel gun-shy? Like, it didn't work once. So
3: how is it going to work a second time or... It's made me nervous every single time that we think about a new concept, mm-hmm. you know, um, because it 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 has made me think. It's made me realize. I mean, with our first restaurant, Curate, it was successful like immediately, and that's not something that you really learn from. It's hard. I mean, you learn, but but you don't learn what what made it successful. Like, why did it do well immediately? Now, in hindsight, when I look at you know, our journey through Nightbell, I've learned so much more in that experience on understanding what the difference was between those those concepts and why one was successful and the other wasn't. And then- What did you learn? Well, for me, it's about being very clear about who you are. It's like, if you're struggling to describe what you're trying to do, Mm -hmm. I think everybody would say this, right? If you're struggling to describe what you're trying to do, nobody's going to understand it, you know? And then- and then that's not going to translate well. So it's you know now when we're we're working on a bagel shop and and we have a, another concept that we're developing for that and it's been very um, you know been very like I've been spending a lot of time thinking okay how do I explain this concept and make it clear and you know so that when we open you see that from everything from the decor to the you know menu and and it all tells one story I think that's important.
2: Is there any, have you had a a moment where fear or anxiety or indecision has prompted, um, you know, you to do something that you look back on and think, gosh, you know, I wish I had had the presence of mind to not do that? Or done something great for you. Sometimes fear is a phenomenal motivator for the positive.
3: Yeah. I mean, you know, I think back on our, uh, when we first opened Kurate, you know, I, I got into that and and was put in the position of opening my own restaurant probably way earlier than anybody should. I mean, I had basically, you know, switched careers, started working in kitchens, but only did it for like two years. Oh and, my
2: gosh. Is that
3: right? Yeah. Before we opened Kurate. And it was, it was def i don't advise that to anybody it w- it was definitely too much too soon but at the same point you know we were just trying to create a little neighborhood restaurant you know i wasn't going for you know a whole lot or multiple restaurants at the time and so it wasn't so crazy it was like just do do your thing and um and uh you know i but i remember right before we opened having this moment where i just um had a little bit of a panic attack because it was like two days before we were supposed to open Quirate. And I realized, oh my goodness, I can't do this. Like, I I can't do this by myself. You know, I can't do this with my uh, my husband who runs the front of the house and just all these new team members that are looking at me to tell them what to do. And, and I don't have any other support, you know. Um, and so I picked up the phone and called um, Jose Andres and uh, Felix, my husband, and I did. And we just told him, we were like, look, we're opening in two days and we don't know if we're going to be ready. And he sent himself and two of his or three of his team members down to Asheville and spent – they spent two nights with us. They weren't even there like a super long period of time <laughs> but, like, or two days or three days, but it was the – most amazing help and exactly what we needed because all of a sudden I had friends and people that I trusted somebody who was able to help me like oversee the saute station or the prep kitchen or create that first initial order list because I couldn't teach everybody everything that I wanted at the same time and I think I was really naive in thinking that I, that I could in the beginning so.
2: That, I I haven't heard that story, but how fantastic. I mean, Jose, who's now, you know, solving the um, crisis in Puerto Rico. Actually, I saw him um, a couple of days ago, and he was going to Guatemala. So he's amazing, and he's really good. You know, you need him, he'll come. But I think the idea that you asked, to me, is the most um, compelling part,
3: because it's so hard to ask for something. Was that hard to do? Or, sure, yeah, yeah, it was it was really hard to, to pick up the phone and ask for that. But, you know, as soon as we got the response, I mean, he just reacted so positively. It, he didn't even think about it. He didn't even ask. He was like, no problem. And the next thing I knew, they had flights booked and they were coming down. And, you know, it was just amazing. And, you know, he's there opening night, like carving ham on the front of the bar. And somebody's walking by and they come in and they're like, wait, are you Jose Andres? <laughs> and if so why are you here? What are you doing? And why are you at Asheville? <laughs> you know, and it was just, it was just really, um, it was, it was really special. Um, that
2: as a reminder to ask for what you need and also to recognize when you don't have what you need, right? Cause you could have just blown through it, been like, I can tough this out, right? Like, I mean, how
3: hard can it be to train people? And I'm just going to keep going. Um, it would have been, I mean, I I think that it would have been disaster if I would have kept trying to do it myself or it just would have taken a lot longer, you know, and, and with a restaurant, when you open it, you, you go from zero to 60 the day that you open, right? You serve people food, you do the whole thing and the beverage and the service. I mean, it's even friends and family. I mean, it's friends and family, you know, yes, they might be getting a, a, a benefit or everything's free or whatever you're doing for them, but. You're you're still putting yourself out there, and and it's all immediate and instant. Um, it's it's a really challenging <laughs> industry.
1: This episode is presented by LMT, the hospitality industry's preferred source for tabletop and more. From their New York City headquarters, LMT provides expertise and uniquely curated product opportunities to restaurants and hotels nationwide. Whether it's china, glass, and silver, to smallwares and equipment, LMT's approach to tasteful design and product knowledge is simply unmatched. Learn more at littlemtucker.com. This episode is also presented by Forever Cheese, a passion for great taste. Forever Cheese sources the highest quality and most unique cheeses and other products from Italy, Spain, Portugal, and Croatia, and imports them to the United States, the majority under the Midica brand. If it's Midica, it's got to be incredible. Learn more at forevercheese.com.
2: So if you were going to um, write a book or have a a billboard that was like, that said who you are, um, what would that
3: billboard say? I think it would say, um, don't be afraid to ask questions. I think because I, uh, a lot of people would say I, I went, you know, the shortcut, I didn't go to culinary school. I worked in restaurants and then I skipped the traditional steps into running my own restaurant. Um, I had to ask questions of everybody, And and in the beginning, it was even asking my line cooks who had worked at these other places and, you know, being humble enough to ask for um, ideas and being open to those and not thinking about them as a reflection of something you don't know or some, you know, um, making you inferior um, in some way. It's more about gathering as much knowledge as you can. I like to think of myself as a sponge. I'm like, if I ask the question, I learn it, and then I do it, and I never have to ask that question again. (laughs) The, um, how do you lead and ask questions at
2: the same time? So, for example, you could have those line cooks who are like, I cannot believe she just asked me how to make mole. Well, it's not you mole in your restaurant. Right. But, um, you know, how, how does that sync up with being a strong leader?
3: I mean it it was uh it was hard in the beginning to um I think also because I was young I was in my 20s and when we first opened and a lot of my team was older than me and people so I wanted to lean on them and ask them things and it was it was definitely challenging at first but then you know you earn respect by um the hard work and doing it and they just saw you know I mean it's like nobody was going to say I wasn't working as hard as I possibly could to make this thing and that it wasn't come the only reason it was coming together and existed in the first place was because I was doing all of that, you know. So it's just understanding that and, and knowing that the other pieces um, you know, that you're learning along the way are um smaller components in the end. What about working with your husband?
2: Your completely adorable husband. Um is that is that difficult? Is it um delightful. Like what is that? And, and then your family is involved yes. too, right? As yep. investors in your um, restaurants.
3: I, um, you know, I love working with my husband and we met working together and we are very much like, um, in, in, uh, in Spain, they, they call it, you know, your half orange is your like soulmate, you know, and we're very much like two halves make a whole. Like I, we talk about it all the time that we, we create one, Super person, you know, or <laughs> out of the two of us, you know, who can like <laughs> tackle anything, and we have such different strengths, and um, and so we complement each other really well. And there isn't a decision, I mean, there are so many decisions that happen, we just do them jointly, you know. We talk about menu together, and even though I'm the one, like, he'll be like, Katie, I really think we should put an ajo blanco on the menu because you know he's from Spain and and he's got that culture and that background and I'm like well I've never had a ho blanco can you tell me about it <laughs> and then and then I test it and I try it and then he tastes it and then we're like wow that's it we've landed on it you know and um and no just, friction just like all peace no i mean you know sometimes when i bring him something and and i tell him like okay so there's this one flaw in it, but I'm going to change that. And then like the first thing he tells me is about that flaw that I already <laughs> pointed out to him. And I'm just like, it's really frustrating. Or when he tells me something that I know deep down is right and that, and that I didn't, i didn't execute something properly or whatever he's very honest with me mm-hmm. about it and and it's always it irks me because I always know he's right and, and that can be kind of hard
2: <laughs> so the art of compromise um, is incredibly important. I always feel like it's such a, it's a struggle when two people have different opinions. It doesn't sound like you suffer from that too much, but um, to, you know to find that middle ground because one person is not getting
3: their way right uh, Do you have a
2: thought about that?
3: You know, I think that um, that is that is a struggle. So not only am I in business with my husband, but I am in business with my parents. It's the four of us. We're, we're all four owners. And so in the you're right. My husband and I, we tend to be on the same page because we talk things through together. But um, there's frequent times when the four of us come together and somebody is not on the same page from the rest of the group. And because they have different background or values or um, – Whatever um, other core values they have that's driving them that makes them think a little bit differently, and that's really challenging, but i've tried to um, look at you know uh, seeing things from somebody else's perspective, and then speaking to that like why 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 is that person not agreeing on this with me or seeing something differently and then and then I think if I know why then i can kind of talk about i can make my case better right to try to to get my point across that's cuz i find it's one of the things that i um
2: i can struggle with because i of avoiding confront i like to avoid confrontation and that sometimes i just pe- some people are really good arguers they're just really compelling and i just fight the impulse to throw up my hands and say, I I can't outthink you on this because my brain doesn't really think that way. So, okay. Um, which is not, it's just not good. Like I, so I'm always looking for insight into, you know, and I think that's, um, that's a good suggestion. So is there a woman in the culinary industry who has been an inspiration and, um, who is she and why?
3: Oh gosh, there's a lot, you know, I mean, I, I, my two mentors, you know, the people I've worked with closely have been men, but, um, but there's a lot of people that I admire. And it's, it's usually as I go to different conferences and I hear them speak about different issues. Like I remember hearing Suzanne Gowen and Gabrielle Hamilton talk about having children and, um, at a conference that I went to and what that meant and the balance or lack thereof in their lives. And, you know, it convinced me after hearing that. I was like, okay, I can do this. I can have children. It's all right. You know what I mean? You, you can you can let go. And, um, and then, you know, there's people like Ashley Christensen in North Carolina also who is just – she's amazing on just – Saying what she thinks and feels, and making real change in policy in, you know, both government and in just supporting, um, social issues that are important to her and wearing that on her sleeve. And she's somebody who I really admire and try to follow in her, her path, um, on that. So, but there's a, there's a whole bunch. I'm meeting them all the time.
2: And, um, in this, you know, tricky time in, uh, the restaurant world or in the world at large, really. But we have a microcosm of it in um, hospitality. Are there things either that you do within your own restaurant or that you recommend as a general way to be a a human in this world that helps um, address the issues surrounding Me Too or the, unfortunately, the
3: mental health issues that plague the restaurant world? Absolutely. So we, um, this year for the first year, and it's, um, just started offering an EAN program or EAP program, which is an employee assistance network. And, um, basically what it is is we pay for this service and it means that our employees get to go to free counseling on any issue that they want. They get five sessions per issue per year. So they can go for multiple issues each year. Um, and it's available to them and anybody who lives with them. So their family or if they have a roommate or something, they can use it because it's, it's about who impacts that employee's like life and world and, and might be impacting their mental state or how they feel. And you know they can go and use it about financial issues or depression or um, substance abuse. And we're really trying to get the, the word out that it's a confidential, since it's new, it's something we're Mm. offering this year, that it's confidential and that, you know, they should use it because it's there and it's free for them. And um, the idea is that then it connects them if they need it with, it either solves their issue in those sessions or it connects them with longer term um, possibilities based on their income or their health insurance plan or whatever it is that, that they've got. So that's been something that's really new and, you know, while we've always had, we've, for the past couple of years, we've had an HR manager. Um, but you know, what's happened recently is we're getting so much more use out of our HR. We're getting so many more people coming forward and talking mm-hmm. because we've been talking more, right? As every issue comes up, it's like, I send an email out or I go in and I talk with the staff and I remind them, Hey, I know we've talked about this, but there's new people in here. And you guys need to know that we're here for you and please let me know if there's something, if there's a moment when you are at work and you don't feel respected or that it's not the most professional environment that you've worked in, please come forward. And we're seeing that being used uh, a whole lot more than it was um, previously. I think the
2: interesting thing about that will be when the volume, uh, you know, well, hopefully, one can set up a situation where the um, workplace is safe and, you know, and people aren't dealing with these really painful issues every day but I know that one of the the changes that when I talk to chefs they talk about having an open door you know it used to be that it's like just go to work if you you know you cut your finger off you put like you solve it with a band-aid and emotionally and physically but when the chef opens their door which we're all recommending that it's very time-consuming and it's Societal, You know, like we can only do so much. So I think it'll be interesting to see how we can integrate, um, you know, these programs, but also what we can do like in the larger world to uplift
3: people. And I think as you get bigger, you know, it's true that as we get bigger, I might be, I'm not the person who's going to be able to field all of those questions, but, you know, my chef de cuisine at one of my restaurants just this past week presented with me this idea of mentorship. Mm -hmm. And he wants to put each of our managers in charge of a small set of our employees as they their mentor. And the purpose is, is that that person is charged with checking in on those people, not just about their work and how they cut an onion, but, you know, about what's going on in their personal lives. And if, if, if they're noticing that they're off or something, they're having those conversations with them. And that's, becomes part of the manager's responsibility. I think this reminds me of
2: um, what's going on in schools, that the schools have taken on a, a lot of responsibility that used to be at home. And then, you know, restaurants or workplaces are taking on a lot of responsibilities that would have been family. Um, so your work becomes your family in some way. I mean, not just in the taking care and being that that place where you know that you can turn to somebody um, for help. Uh, I think that's it. Thank you so much for um, for joining me. It's been really, really great to have you. Thank you. That concludes this episode of Speaking Broadly. You know where to find me, Dana Cowan. Uh, you can find me at scout on Instagram and Twitter. I want to thank my engineer of the day, Matt, and... Mm-hmm carlin thompson for being an extraordinary help through so many episodes of speaking broadly carlin you've been the best that's it folks i look forward to next week and uh come on back and get some more lessons in life business love success failure and all the rest